Jonah chapter one, are you there? You got it? Any uh, Jonah chapter one. So today we are starting a new series called Relentless. We are starting a new series called Relentless. And why are we doing this next few weeks? That you would understand God's heart for you. And then you would put into action God's heart for other people. That you would understand God's heart for you and then you would put into action God's heart for other people. So as we look at the words of God here today and in the next few weeks to come, that you would understand God's relentless love for you and God's relentless love for other people around you. And I hope that you would grab on to that in the next few weeks. Uh, before we jump into Jonah chapter one, let me tell you a story. So um, my 10-year high school reunion is quickly approaching, which is real weird, by the way. Um, so this May, this May, I will have been out of high school 10 years. My wife and I both, actually. Uh, so anyway, my high school reunion is coming up. And like when I think about my high school reunion, I'm kind of like, man, that's weird. I wasn't that cool in high school, so this is just not good. Um, and I think about like going back and seeing all these people, and I wonder what they think about, you know, what do they remember about me when I was in high school? Probably that I was awesome. Probably not. Um, you know, what are their memories? What do they, what, you know, what would they think about what I do now? Probably most of them would be like, youth pastor, really? Huh, weird. So, you know, it's just one of those things, like you start to think and you start like, what would this be like? And what, I'd hope that their, their greatest memories would be like, man, he really loved Jesus. Like, man, he just sold his life out for Jesus. That's not what they would remember about me though, because I was a punk. Uh, so, you know, I, it's just weird to think about, but thinking back, like as I, we have this Facebook page that's like, hey, sign up for this. Who wants to buy tickets to this reunion? I'm like, oh, this is weird. And like all these people are commenting like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see everyone again. This is going to be so fun. Which by the way, you're not, whatever, you don't need, we don't have to go there. It's just weird, you know, it's just, I haven't seen you in 10 years and you live in Virginia now. And it's like, what? I don't know. Uh, but I start to think like, what? I start to think about high school and like memories flood in. So uh, I, I played baseball in high school and that's not like me boasting like whatever. I played baseball in high school. So I was a part of that crowd. But I, I also was, uh, I was going to church. Like I started going to church seriously. Like I really wanted to follow Jesus my, my junior year in high school. Like I, be, I got saved at a younger age, but really started to understand what it meant to follow Jesus my junior year in high school and thought I was doing that. And I, I think I was following Jesus and reading the Bible for myself and really just got a bigger picture of what it was like to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and, you know, I, but like, like I was leading in the student ministry that I was a part of and, you know, things were good. But like, as I was thinking about our t my 10 year reunion, I was like, all these like old feelings that I used to have in high school would come up because I remember, I remember having these guys on my baseball team that I knew uh, that weren't believers that would, uh, you know, they kind of bought into the high school lifestyle kind of the typical high school lifestyle, like real popular. So they would go to the parties and they would drink the whatever and do the whatever and they would get this girl and they would do whatever together. And uh, like, I mean, they just embodied this American high school life. And I remember like, I remember thinking in high school because, because I was starting to be a leader in the student ministry I was a part of. I remember thinking in high school I don't ever want those guys to come to my church. I don't ever want them to come to my church. Because, because if they come, and, 
If they come and they hear the gospel and they get saved, they're going to get more attention than me. Like churches where people focus on me, churches where I'm the most popular guy in the room, churches where I matter. Back at high school, maybe I'm not the most popular guy in the room. They are, and they can't be the most popular guy in the room here and at church. That's not, that's not okay. And I'm like, I, I'm, you know, I'm 27 years old thinking back to those moments, and I'm like, how stupid. Like, how stupid am I? Like, how much do I have to misunderstand the gospel? How much did I have to really not grab onto God's heart for everybody to act that way and to think that way about other people? Now, why do I tell you that? Because we're going to look at a guy in the Bible today that his heart for people is a lot like that. It's a lot like, I don't want them to have anything to do with my God. And he's a religious person, like, like an important religious person, like a, like a prophet. And we see him completely miss it, completely misunderstand the heart of God, completely misunderstand God to enjoy himself and God's heart for other people. So let's jump into it in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Okay, let's just pause for a second. Here's what's happening. God comes to this prophet. He's a well-known prophet. He has already come to Jonah before, earlier, back in Kings. He has come to Jonah, and you've, we, Jonah has come up in the Bible. But he comes to Jonah here, and he says, hey, uh, you're my prophet, so here's what I need you to do. I need you to rise. I need you to go to Nineveh, and I need you to call out against it. Here's why. Because their evil has come up before me. Really what that's saying is their evil has come up before me, and I want to show them mercy. That's the message that he tells Jonah to go and take to the Ninevites. And Jonah, what does Jonah do? He rises, just like God says, except he doesn't go to Nineveh. He goes completely the opposite way to Tarshish away from where God wanted him to go. And he gets on a boat. And he pays his fare, and he gets on a boat. And God, God being God, throws a great wind, but really a storm onto the sea, and it's crazy. It's crazy. Like these guys that are mariners, they're sailors, they're used to being on the water, and they're used to rough seas. It's crazy out there, and even they're scared. Even they're scared. And they started to hurl cargo over the ship. They were like, just get the weight off. This is crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. The boat might split in half. Just get everything off. We've got to do whatever it takes to live. And you know what Jonah does? He doesn't like, okay, guys, let me help you. You know what he does? He's like, you guys got that? Okay, I'm going to go into the bottom of the ship and go to sleep because this is a little stressful for me. I mean, what a punk. Let's keep going in verse 7. 
And they, that's the sailors, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what, of what people are you? And he, that's Jonah, said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. All right, so now this is the scene. The captain of the boat comes down, down into the inner parts of the ship, comes to Jonah, sees him sleeping, and he's like slaps him around. He's like, hey, homie, what's going on here? You need to help us out. We're about to break in half and go down. Can you just help us? What's going on? You should get up and pray to your God. Maybe he'll help us. I don't know who your God is, but we could use all the help we can get at this point. And they're like, uh, whatever. And they're like, so they begin to like, we got to figure out whose fault this is. Let's cast some lots. And really it's just like rolling the dice to figure out whose fault this is or drawing straws. And they figure out by God's sovereignty that it's Jonah's deal. And they come to Jonah and they're like, hey, uh, God, some God told us that it's your fault that this is happening. Who are you? Why are you here? Where are you from? And he's like, oh, I'm a Hebrew. And I serve the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. And he made the sea that we're on right now and the dry land. And they're like, oh, crud, this is not good. And, and for some reason, in those, in those sailors, they just they panic. They panic even more than they already were. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. It was just crazy. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So this is what they say. What should we do, Jonah? He's like, oh, why don't you just throw me into the water? Then it'll end. And they're like, uh, if you serve the Lord God who made heaven and earth and sea and dry land, I don't think our blood or the blood of your death wants to be on our hands. So let's just try to figure this out. And they start rowing. They start rowing, but they can't. Verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done it. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. All right, so let's move through this a little slower and we'll identify some things. Here's the first question I want to ask. What do we learn about Jonah from these verses? First thing is this. Look at verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish so he could so he paid the fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah, this religious man, this prophet of God, hears the voice of God that says, go, hey, go to Nineveh. And he's like, heard you, God. And he turns the opposite way, legitimately the opposite way on the map and goes as far as he can think to get away from God. How selfish. Verse five. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the, in, into the sea 
in order to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Okay, so not only did he, did he flee from God, not only did he do that, but now he's on the boat. The boat is crazy out of control because of this storm. The, the sailors are hurling stuff over the side. And Jonah's like, hey, that's neat and all, but I'm kind of tired and I really just don't want to deal with God right now. So I'm going to go into the bottom of your boat. And I'm going to take a nap. That's what's going to happen. Crazy how, again, how selfish. Look at verse 9. And he, that's Jonah, said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. The God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Here's the deal Jonah knew who he was, Jonah knew who he served, Jonah knew who God was. Jonah knew. And he didn't. Go And he didn't even let these guys know who he was because they probably wouldn't have let him on the boat. But the tip for us is it may be more offensive to people. It may be more offensive to people in your circles and your schools and in your neighborhoods. If you tell them you're a Christian, yet you live way different. It may be more offensive to people if you tell them you're a Christian, yet you live way different. It's confusing. It's very confusing. Let's look at the last thing we learned about Jonah, verse 12. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. This is speculation, all right? I'm not getting this from the Bible. The Bible's over there. This is just me. It's, for, for me, it's not like Jonah all of a sudden decided to be like a Boy Scout and be honorable. I don't know. But you know what, guys? I'm kind of sorry. You can throw me in the water. No, no. Here's what I think. Again, Bible's over here. This is not from the Bible. This is from Kate. Jonah wants to get chunked into the sea because he knows if he gets thrown into the sea, he'll die. And if he dies, he doesn't have to go to Nineveh like God said. He's like, oh, sorry, God. I mean, I died. What did you want me to do? These guys threw me into the water. Just one more excuse to provide. And so all throughout this, we see Jonah's selfishness over and over again. And, and maybe you're thinking, as you read through Jonah 1, you're like, Jonah, you're a freaking idiot. Like, if I could hear God like you hear God, I would never disobey. You fool. I would love to hear God like you hear God, Jonah. Yet you're whiffing on this. How could you do this? Here's why. Here's, here's why Jonah does this. Jonah 4.2 says this. You don't have to turn there, just listen. And this is Jonah talking to God. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this why I said what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Here's why I didn't go where you wanted me to go. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah says to God, you know why I didn't want to go, God? You know why I was selfish? Because I knew who you were, and I knew that you would, that you would send me to these people, and these people would get saved, and I don't want that. And you're like, geez, Jonah, chill out, man. Don't you want everybody to be saved? Well, here's the deal. 
Here's who, here's who Jonah is going to. Here's who the Ninevites are. The Ninevites are the Assyrian people. And here's what the Assyrian people are known for. Like, let me just give you a few bullet points on the Assyrian people. They were a fierce, cruel nation who showed little mercy to those they conquered. They ransacked Israel. They took over Samaria. Their very name in that time struck fear in everybody because here's what they did to people. They took over Israel and took prisoners, and here's how they treated them. They skinned them alive. They took, they took prisoners, and they cut their tongues out. They were known for having just piles of bones and piles of skulls outside their, their, their kingdoms just to strike fear in other people. That's it. Just so everybody would know, we're the Assyrians and you don't mess with us. And this is the nation that God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to those people, those people who have oppressed your people for the last hundred years. You go to those people and you tell them about me. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And, and maybe, just maybe, we could identify with Jonah. But maybe you read it and you're like, Jonah, you fool. You heard God clearly. Why didn't you do what he said? You're so selfish. But here's what I want to put before you. That maybe what we learn about Jonah is what we learn about us. As Jonah can find every excuse and every reason in the world to run from God's call in his life, to run from something that God has clearly said to him, hey, go and do this. And he comes up with every reason why he can't. And for you, it's not go to Nineveh. And for you, you're not hearing an audible voice of God like a prophet. But for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have heard something very clearly from God. In fact, you've heard it from the mouth of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. You see, this is the same kind of command from God. And yet so often, we find every excuse in the world to go the other way or every other excuse of why we can't do it. God, we can't do it. Here's a handful of reasons. Reasons why we don't do what God or will not do what God has called us to do. Number one, it's uncomfortable or it's inconvenient. God, it's awkward. I don't want to do that. Like, uh, like maybe, I mean, you should like, you give it to like, you're like, God, do you know how awkward I am? I don't, you don't want me to do this. I mean, you give him an excuse. God, it's uncomfortable. I, I, I like my life, you know, like I'm not bothering anybody. They're not bothering me. Suburbia is awesome. It's inconvenient. God is uncomfortable. I'm not going to do that. And you give that excuse to God. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, maybe it's something different. Maybe it's, like, well, God, I, don't, I do not want to get made fun of here. Like, if I go out here and I'm like, actually, I believe in Jesus. Like, I legitimately believe in Jesus. I believe in God. And, like, that changes my life. There might be people who are like, what? You don't want to get made fun of. You don't want to be the, the butt of somebody's joke for being a Christian. You don't want, so, you, so you're like, I don't, God, I don't, I don't want to. 
I don't, I don't want to do it, God. I just don't want to go. I don't want to tell people about Jesus. It's uncomfortable, or I don't want to get made fun of, or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, I just don't want to get socially rejected. I don't want to get pegged the weird Christian kid at school. By the way, just as a side note, like, like in the Bible, God says, be holy as I am holy, right? We, that's in the Bible. If I could just give you the Cade version of that, it's like, hey, be different as I am different. Be weird as I am weird. And I'm not saying like the weirdest person you know. Don't think that. Think like they are so devoted to Jesus, they really don't care about anything else. So maybe, maybe the call to be a follower of Jesus is to not get access to certain social groups because of who you are in Christ. Or maybe your reason's none of those. Maybe your reason's not that it's uncomfortable or I don't, I don't want to or it's not, it, I'm going to get made fun of or maybe it's this. God, really, that's not my problem to deal with. Really, like, sharing the gospel with people, it's not really my problem. Like, I'm saved, sucks for them. And in here, you're like, gosh, Cade, geez, that's rude. But, but we think that. You're like, somebody else will handle it. It's not my problem. Listen, I, I'm not just out here accusing you. I am guilty of this. Like, I have read this, and I've put this together, and I'm like, this is me. Oh, my gosh, this is me. Or maybe, maybe it's none of those reasons that you don't do what God's called you to do. Maybe it's this. <laughs> maybe it's similar to Jonah. God, if you saved them, it wouldn't be fair. God, if you saved that kid or that girl or those girls or those guys and they got to be a part of what I'm a part of, it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair. Where the son, he says, there's this, there's this scene in Luke 15 where the son comes to his dad and he says, hey, dad. Uh, I'm done living with you. Give me my inheritance. I'm out. So the father gives him his inheritance. He goes out, and the Bible says that he squanders the inheritance, meaning he just blows it on dumb stuff. And then he finds himself hungry and alone and desperate, so much so that he's in with pigs eating what they're eating, longing to be back with his dad. And the story goes on, and he turns, and he says, I'm going to go back to my dad. And he goes back, and, and it says that he sees from a long way off, and the father runs to him, hugs him, embraces him, kisses him, celebrates, and they throw a party because this son that was lost has now been found. And they're throwing this big party, and it's awesome. And it's like, yeah, kill the fattened calf. This is going to be incredible. My son, he's home. And this is what the other brother's doing. He's out working, doing what dad has always told him to do. And the servant comes to him, he's like, hey, are you going to come to the party? And he's like, what party are you talking about? He's like, your brother's back. Your brother's back and like, your dad told us to get the fattened calf, we're having a party. And you would think, you would think the brother's like, sweet bro's back, this is going to be awesome. You know what he does? This is stupid. He gets angry. He gets angry and he starts, this is, and his dad comes over and he's like, hey, what's your deal? Like, why are you so mad? And he, does, like, he doesn't interact with his dad like this, like, oh, sorry, dad, I shouldn't be mad. 
That's not what he does. You know what he does? Looks at his dad and he goes, you never throw a party for me. You never let me hang out with my friends. You don't even give me a goat and you give this fool, this fool that's blown all your money on prostitutes, you've let him have the fattened calf and you never give me a party. This isn't fair, dad. I've been with you and I've done what you've said and I've been following you and this is what I get. This isn't fair. Listen to what the dad says back to this, his son. And he says to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He looks at his son in the face when his son is so angry because he says, this isn't fair. I've always followed you and yet you're celebrating this person. He says, it was fitting. It makes sense because he was dead and he's alive. He was lost. You see, that's a lot like the mentality I had when I was in high school. I don't want those fools in my church. Because if they got saved and came to my place, they would be more popular than me. They would be more noticed than me. It would be more about them than it is about me. How selfish. You know what that proves about us? If that's you, if you're in here and you're like, ah, I'm not sharing the gospel because I don't want those idiots to get saved. If that's you, if any of these are you, if you can identify with Jonah, what it's proving about us is that we really have not let the gospel sink into our hearts such that it changes the way that we see everybody. Because when the gospel comes in, this is what the gospel says. That God created everybody. That God created the world and humanity for humanity to be in a relationship with him. Yet in our rebellion, we went against God. We sinned against God. That's what the Bible says. And that sin caused a separation between us and God. And the Bible says, everyone has sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So not just the other people that you know, but all. That includes you. That includes me. Everyone has sinned. So we're on level playing field at this point. We are all desperately broken. And God, seeing our desperation, sends Jesus into our desperation. And Jesus lives perfectly where we were supposed to live perfectly. And he dies a, a death that... He, we were supposed to die and he gets up from the dead three days later so that you and I could have the way to God, not because we worked for it, not because we were good enough, but because God was perfect in our place. That's it. It's based on Jesus in our place and that's it. So if you and I are the kind of people that are looking at others saying, you aren't allowed to get saved. You don't belong here. It's not fair. We have twisted the gospel into making it about us instead of it being about God. The gospel is all about God's work in our place. That's it. Not our goodness. It's, God didn't look at me and say, this guy's gonna be a pastor one day. I better get him on my team really quickly. That didn't happen. God, in his grace, period, said, you're mine. 
Not because of anything you did, but because of everything that Jesus did. Let's not be Jonah and find every excuse to run from where God wants us to go and to run to who God wants us to go to. The gospel doesn't allow it. The gospel says we're all broken and desperately in need. So let's extend that to people. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this? Tell me, help me, Cade. I don't want to do this. Number one, you avoid making those mistakes or you can turn from those mistakes by seeing yourselves and others, by seeing yourself and others in light of the gospel. By seeing yourself and others in light of the gospel. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says this, and you, that's all of us, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ephesians says, this is how we, this is all of us. We're all set right here. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Look at, look at yourself and look at everybody around you through that lens. You were dead and God made you alive. That's it. If you could look at the people around you in your schools that aren't Christians, that are maybe just putting on a mask, that think they're Christians, or they're just explicitly not believers, don't look at them and say, man, really stinks for you. Like, sorry, you should join my club if you don't want to go to hell. Or you could see them through the lens of the gospel and see they're dead and they need somebody to make them alive. They need Jesus. And how are they going to know unless you tell them? How are they ever going to hear unless you open your mouth and say, this is who he is. This is how gracious and merciful our God is. Look what he's done in me. Believe. They'll never hear if we don't open our mouths. I'll never hear. Number two, how do we avoid making these mistakes or turn from these mistakes? We trust that God's ways are best. We trust that God's ways of doing things are best. Well, how do you know that God's ways are best, Kate? Because God's eternal and because God created this place. So, if God's eternal, he's always been, always will be. You may be, you at best get like 102 years here. God outlives you by a long shot. If you get 102 years, you're going in some kind of record book. And you're a blip on God's radar. So not only is God eternal, God created this place. And the creator always knows what's best for the creation. That's just how that works. So let's be a people 
could we be a people who grab onto God's heart of, for us and for other people and say, without Jesus, we are dead people and we need to be made alive. So look at him through the lens of the gospel and trust that God's ways are best. Let's be relentless. Let's love relentlessly. Let's love like God loves. Bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. So I know I'm aware. There are some of you in here who are like, Kate, I'm not the one running from God's call. I, I'm, I'm doing everything that I can to reach people. I'm opening my mouth. I'm saying this is what the gospel is. I'm, say, I'm trying, Kate, I'm, I'm doing it. Okay, I, I want to be here and cheer you on. I don't want to beat you down. I don't want to say you're not doing it right. That's not, I, I want to cheer you on. I want to say, you've got this. Keep going. Remind yourself of the gospel every day so you don't have to slip into those lies. Gospel yourself every morning. Wake up and say, Jesus, I was dead and you made me alive. Help me to live the kind of life and see people the way you saw me. And if you're in here and you're saying, Kate, I am a follower of Jesus, but I'm living a lot like Jonah. I'm doing everything I can to run from what God wants me to do. Then maybe tonight you need to identify the reason for it. Like, why am I doing this? Is it because I'm, I'm scared? Is it because I'm more worried about myself than anything else? Is it because, honestly, I don't really care about other people? Is it because I don't want those people to get saved? Find the reason. I can't, I can't identify that. Only you and God can identify that. Ask God to reveal that to you. God, I don't know why, but would you reveal it to me? And then remind yourself of the gospel. You were dead and God made you alive. Let's start looking at other people that way. And lastly, if you're in here and you are not a believer, like you're not a Christian, you're not even you're trying to be a Christian. You're like, I don't get this whole church thing. I don't get this Jesus thing. Like, this is crazy. What's your hurdle? I mean, if we, if we see in, in, the, in the story of Jonah, God do incredible, supernatural, but yet gracious and loving things. What's your hurdle to following that God, to betting your life on he has the best for me? If you've got questions, go ask them. You've got hurt that you don't know how to deal with? Go, go find somebody and say, I don't know what to do here. Can you help me? But I don't know what crowd you're in tonight. You're in one of those three camps. I don't know. But please respond as you need to respond. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so, so much for the story that we see in the Bible of Jonah. Thank you, God, that you have given us this in the word. Thank you that it teaches us about who we should be, about who you are. 
about how we should view people. Help us, God, to view people through the lens of the gospel. That they're dead and need to be made alive. Give us compassion like you have compassion. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Draw us where we need to be drawn to. We need you. We are reliant on you. We love you. It's in your name we pray.